five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb. And I don't know if, you know, I can't believe it. I'm sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, is that a Bengal shirt you're wearing? That is a Bengal shirt I'm wearing. You know, and the weird thing is I get asked about this shirt more than any other shirt that I have in my closet. The last time I went to Publix wearing this shirt, three different people just at the Publix asked, wow, you're a Bengals fan. Like, do the Bengals have so few fans that people stop and ask them like, holy moly, you're a Bengals fan. Like there's only six people like, like that in the world, I guess. But yeah, I get asked about it a lot. Hey, you know what? I think you just need to tell them I'm not a Bengals fan. I'm just a huge Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase fan. Huge LSU guy. You know, I actually got this shirt. I have about four or five NFL shirts, but I wear this one all the time. I think I got this Bengals polo shirt when they drafted A.J. McCarron. Uh, you know, we uh, know I know A.J.'s family really well, so it was kind of like, you know, a, a, you know, it, it was kind of like somebody in the family being drafted for the first time in my so first time in my life. So I went and got the the Bengals shirt. I ordered it right after the day after AJ was drafted there, and uh, I've just sort of liked it ever since. So I wear it pretty frequently, really. So that that makes sense. I can get behind that. Showing some guys some support. Um, I know my brother. As soon as Tua got drafted by the Dolphins, um, you know I, I don't really have a specific. Uh, NFL team that I follow right. and neither right. does he, but it gave him a reason to, to become a Dolphins guy. So we went and got a, a shirt, a nice polo and he's wearing it all the time. And it's very bright and colorful uh, with that, whatever you call it, teal, I guess is the, the color. Um, so I support it. And I will say this, I enjoy watching the Bengals, man. I really do. You know, I like Joe Burrow. Um, that might not be a popular thing to say to Alabama fans, but Jamar oh. Chase, T Higgins, you know, Tyler Boyd, um, you know, Joe Mixon, they got some weapons in the passing game. You got Jonah Williams there on the offensive line. They're still working some things out and trying to get that OL fixed, but they're making some progress. Um, but anyways, we're not here to talk about the Bengals. We're not here to talk about Joe Burrow or LSU. It's time to start talking about Alabama and Texas A&M. So coming off a big win against Old Miss, 42-21, everybody seems to be singing Alabama's praises once again. What are your thoughts on this whole well, Texas A&M game? Well, it, I've, I've changed my thoughts dramatically since the summer uh, for a, a couple of reasons. Number one, I'll admit, I'll admit I was a little wrong to overhype them. Uh, they didn't have a lot of personnel losses from their team last year, not a lot, but the ones that they did, it seems to have really hurt them. Uh, I thought they would bounce back nicely because they've recruited well in the past three recruiting classes, especially I thought Jimbo had sort of recruited them past those issues, but he obviously has not then throw in the fact they've had significant injury issues to start the season, including losing their starting quarterback, a kid I was really high on that I thought was going to be a really good player in this league quickly. Uh, they're, they're just not the team at all that I thought they would be this summer. Uh, and, and for that reason, you know, I, I'm going to pick Alabama to win this game uh, fairly easily. I don't think it's going to be a true blowout because A&M is still pretty good defensively. But 
I don't see how AM's going to score many points. Alabama's playing well on defense. AM hasn't needed to play a good defense to look bad on offense. They've played three power five opponents. They have scored 10, 10, and 22 in those three games. And Alabama's better on defense than all three of those teams. So, you know, I'll say they're going to score 10 or a little more because they're playing at their place. And I'm sure they're going to be super hyped and give Alabama their best shot. But Clint, I, I don't see AM being able to score enough points to make this a super competitive game. I'm right there with you. Um, and and it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Uh, AM going into the season, I think they're ranked number six or number seven. I'm not entirely sure exactly what it was, but we've seen this AM team become one of the biggest disappointments. And there's been several, you know, Clemson, I think has been a major disappointment in college football, um, you know, Ohio state to some degree, but for Texas A&M and the sec. Now, granted, some people predicted it. I did not. I thought, you know, moving on from Kellen Mond, I thought they'd be in a lot better shape at the quarterback position. Once Haynes King started to get more comfortable and we just haven't seen that. Um, you know, this is a guy, even before he got hurt, you know, they've definitely been questionable with Zach Calzada as their quarterback, but they were also pretty suspect when, when Haynes King was still healthy. Um, you know, I think that he was a guy, you know, I don't think anybody would deny at this point that with, if he would have remained the starter, they would have continued to get a lot better on offense. Um, but the offensive line right now is probably their biggest issue. Um, and it's, so it's not just the quarterback, but I never thought I would be saying this, but man, if you're AM, you have to miss Kellen Mond and his experience. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I would do worry about what they're going to be able to do. Now, granted, you're going to have your this game is being played in College Station. You're going to have that crowd, and and when you talk about home field advantage, that plays a lot more towards your defense than it does your offense. Uh, when Alabama's offense is on the field. Um, you know, that crowd will be getting loud. The defense is is pretty good. Um, and so I think that they're going to cause Alabama's offense some trouble. Um, but just there's nothing about this Alabama defense, even going on the road, that has me concerned or anything about this Texas A&M offense, I guess you'd say, that it would have me concerned for Alabama's defense, at least not right now. Um, but, you know, so to you, you, you talk about that defense. You talk about Alabama's offense. I, I'm sort of leaning a little bit towards Alabama running the football early and often, you know, kind of like they did last week. The, the defensive alignment doesn't is not set up uh, to allow it as much as Ole Miss's. Ole Miss's, you know, with the way they play defense, they're begging you to run the football right at them, and they made zero adjustments. A&M's not set up necessarily that way, but I think A&M has been fantastic in coverage. I think their run defense has been a little bit hit or miss. Um, you know, they look good last week, but you're going against, you know, Mississippi State who ran the ball 11 times or gave, at least gave their running back the football only 11 times, six carries for one, five for the other, and I think they had 35 rushing yards. And so that's going to pad your stats, um, but they're still ranked like, you know, 71st in the country when it comes to rushing yards allowed per game. Um, and and I think it's somewhere in the 140 range. Um so I think Alabama is going to be able to have success. Now you don't have Jason McClellan. You're now breaking in Roydell Williams as your number two running back. But don't you think that the the offensive approach early to take pressure off of Bryce Young to try to quieten that crowd down to try to keep um, you know the defense off the field as much as possible? Now, granted, it's not like 
this is Ole Miss's offense, and they're going to be able to stay on, have sustainable drives. But if you can help out your defense anytime you can, that certainly helps. But do you not think that the correct approach would be Brian Robinson early and often? Yeah, you know, you got to think. I wonder if Brian Robinson's success and Alabama's success on the ground last week sort of surprised Nick Saban and Bill O'Brien. I'm sure it didn't shock them, but I wonder if they were a little surprised at how easy it was. And like you said, Clint, I don't think A&M on defense uh, is going to be worse against the run than Ole Miss was. They're probably going to be better than that, probably. But as, as you said, they've had some issues there. But, you know, what can happen is, okay, so Alabama changes their offensive approach specifically for the Ole Miss game because it was the smart thing to do, to run the ball, to keep the ball, to have longer possessions, to keep Matt Corral and the Ole Miss offense on the sidelines. So they changed their whole offensive approach for this one game plan. I think what happens is when you do that, sometimes you can fall in love with it. Now it's like, boy, you know what? Sure was easy last week. That was easy. We didn't we didn't pressure. We didn't put a lot of pressure on Bryce. We kept the ball. Uh, we played pretty well defensively because they were rested. Let's sort of just go with this and see where it takes us. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if if Alabama just feels like they were very comfortable with with the way that they played offense a week ago, and they might try it again to see if it sticks. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Alabama run, run the ball again. Now, I don't think uh, B-Rob is going to have 36 carries. I think they're going to be eager to give the ball to Roy Dell some. I, I, I think there's, you know, Roy Dell was third uh, or, or fourth uh, at one point uh, on the depth chart for a reason. But at the same time, when Roy Dell has played, he's played well. Also thought he was excellent in the spring, frankly. And, and I said this, uh, not on our show, it didn't exist in the spring, but I said this in the spring that, I thought Roy Dell was better than Jace this spring, uh, and, and that was a bit of a surprise to me. So I, I, I think they're going to be excited to give Roy Dell the ball 10, 12, 13 times. Maybe, maybe B-Rob ends up with around 25 carries. But uh, I'm with you, Clint. I, I think that Alabama runs the ball more than they would have planned to two weeks ago. Uh, I think just the success against Ole Miss and how easy it was to play offense that way and still be productive, still score in the 40s. Uh, I think Alabama might have uh, found something that they like there. See, and that's exactly where I'm at, too. Um, so we're, we're on the same page there. And, and when you start looking at the individual matchups, I think there's several that are very intriguing. Um, you know, Alabama's offensive line versus Texas A&M's defensive line. Now, specifically for the article that I wrote for for BCS Alabama yesterday, highlighting five players to keep an eye on, Chris Owens at right tackle is, you know, no offense to him. Um, You know, I think he's an improving player. I think he's a much better player today at right tackle than he was just a couple of weeks ago. And and that's what you can, that's what you have to hope for and expect if you're the coaching staff. But you know, for, for Chris Owens, he's got a tall task. You know, he's kind of been the weak link of the offensive line at a lot of points this season. Um, you know, DeMarvin Lill is going to be lining up at right defensive end quite a bit. You're going to get Michael Clemens at left defensive end for Texas A&M. And even though DeMarvin Lill, from an NFL perspective, is considered, you know, the, probably the best prospect uh, Texas A&M has on the defensive side of the football right now, uh, especially up front, I still think that that Michael Clemens can cause a lot of issues. You know, he actually leads the team in quarterback hits and, and quarterback hurries with five and eight. So his total pressures on quarterbacks is actually higher 
if you include his two and a half sacks compared to DeMarvin Lill's four and a half sacks. Um, and, and he lines up at left defensive end quite a bit. He's big, he's long, you know, six, five, 270 pounds. So I think Chris Owens is going to have to bring his a game, uh, because that's an area that Texas A&M can try to exploit. And like I said, you're going to have that home crowd. The more pressure you're able to, you're, that you allow on Bryce young, that's going to make life all the more difficult. It's going to get the crowd more involved. And so that that's probably the first thing or one of the first areas that my mind goes is Texas A&M's defensive front going against Alabama's offensive line and particularly there on the right side. So what are your thoughts on that? No, I, lo- I love that you've highlighted that uh, Chris, Chris Owens matchup. Uh, he has played better. He's certainly improved. It's not his natural spot. I don't put it this way. I don't know that Chris Owens is going to be drafted. I would probably bet against it, although he he is certainly going to be invited to an NFL camp. But my point is, when he does get to the NFL, undrafted or not, I bet he doesn't play tackle. Uh, He might not be at center either, but he he won't be at tackle. Uh, It's just not his natural spot. It's just Alabama's best option at this time. And when we play teams with elite defenses that have NFL players like Texas A&M, uh, that's going to be one spot where where we, we got to watch things. We, we probably want to keep a tight end over there. I wouldn't be surprised if we uh, saw Kendall Randolph, who's a reigning staff player of the week. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kendall line up a lot on that right side to sort of help Chris out in that matchup, which seems favorable to AM, as you point out. So that is going to be an issue. Hey, look, this is probably the best defense that Alabama has seen so far. Alabama only scored 31 at Florida. AM's better on defense than Florida, probably. So, you know, is this a game where Alabama may only score in the 20s? I'm not going to predict that to happen, but I wouldn't be shocked. I think one of the themes of this year, Clint, all over the league, and Georgia's about to find this out Saturday, is Winning on the road in the SEC has been difficult for everybody this year. Ole Miss and Arkansas were having special seasons. They go on the road and play a good team, and they both get uh, put right back in their place. Uh, Alabama struggled in its trip to Gainesville. Uh, you know, and, and it's not 100%. It's not every game. But in a lot of games, teams are struggling on the road. I think it's really a first true road trip for a lot of these programs in two years uh, with, with COVID. Uh, so I, I think I'm not going to be shocked between what AM has on defense, their home field, getting, getting noisy, some good matchups they have. Their defensive line is for real, and they match up favorably with Alabama's offensive line. So should Alabama have a game where, where they're only held in that 25-29 point range, I'm actually not going to be shocked if that happens, though I'm not going to predict it to happen. See, and, and that's we're, – we're aligned quite a bit uh, on this game because the only thing that I think plays in Alabama's favor here is, is they go on the road to Gainesville to play Florida. And the one thing that really hurt, really on both sides of the football, um, Alabama's inability to sustain drives offensively certainly hurt, but the fact that Alabama's defense was allowing Florida ha- to have long, sustained drives – uh, especially because of their ground game, mostly that's something that A and is really going to need to come through for them. You know, they got some a couple of very uh, you know quality running backs and Isaiah Spiller, 
um, you know, kind of highlighting the group. I think that if you're A&M, you want to try to keep Alabama's offense off the field as much as possible. Now, granted, I do think there's some matchups that A&M wins fairly consistently with their defense going against Alabama's offense. I'm just not sure it's going to be enough when you're talking about, um, you know, the 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 fact that Alabama's defense has such an advantage going into this game over A&M's offense. Um, now, one other area that I wanted to highlight, and I talked about it in the same article, the five players to watch, because I do think it's extremely interesting. I went back and I've, I've been watching a lot of Alabama's off-ball linebackers. Um, and, and, you know, one area that has, I mean, not obvious, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, Alabama struggled to, to cover the tight end. And, and Jalen Watermeyer is one of the best in the country. You know, he's a big body guy. He's lost a little bit of weight. He used to be in that 270 range. Now he's 6'5", 255 pounds. He, he can run a little bit better. But he's a he's a big body guy, um, you know, not really going to create a ton of separation through his route running or anything like that. But he's just big. He has a great catch radius. He's you know, <clears throat> a more athletic than you would think given his size. And him going against Christian Harris, and there are going to be other guys who are matched up on him. It's not just going to be you know all going to fall on Christian Harris. But you know, based off of what we've seen with Harris covering you know you know Florida's tight ends and Southern Miss tight ends. I feel like it's been a huge mismatch uh, for opposing offenses to exploit against Alabama's defense when you do have your tight end, if you do. Ha and that's one area that Ole Miss didn't have, you know, going into last week's game, they didn't have a tight end, uh, you know, Kenny Yaboa or an Evan Ingram or somebody that could exploit Alabama's struggles against uh, the position. And, and A&M certainly does. This is going to be, you know, one of, if not the best tight ends that Alabama plays all year. And so if you're A&M and you're looking for offensive success, that's probably going to be a place where you can go and uh, and find it fairly consistently. And, you know, just watching both Henry Toe Toe and Christian Harris, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, Henry Toe Toe is having the better season, even though he he's missed quite a few tackles. And when you do that, it puts you kind of on display. That might shock some Alabama fans because there's not a history, not a history necessarily, but there's not a lot of evidence on tape of Christian Harris missing a ton of tackles and stuff like Toe Toe. But I just think from the nuances of playing the position, the instincts, the the speed of the football, everything seems to point towards Henry Toe Toe having the better season, which I think to some degree is not surprising to a lot of uh, Alabama fans or, or people that study the game. But, you know, I think considering Christian Harris was projected to be a first-round pick coming into this season, I think he's kind of fallen short of expectations. And so I just wonder how much A&M is going to try to exploit him in coverage against Jalen Watermeyer. Uh, couldn't couldn't agree more with everything there and, and agree that even though Henry has taken some level of uh, criticism from Alabama fans for his play, he has been better than Christian Harris uh, throughout five full games. Uh, I would take Henry over Christian. What we've seen so far, Christian seems to be in some sort of a slump. I don't know if there's any other way to describe it, but he just hasn't played great. And uh, gosh, Alabama's had their troubles uh, covering tight ends. Uh, even uh, even against Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss's biggest pass play, I believe, in the whole game was a, a play to Chase Rogers, who's not even a really a, a really high end tight end in, in terms of uh, in terms of the way the NFL views things. Uh, and, and he had their biggest uh, longest play of the whole game was a completion to them. Mercer, uh, their tight end, uh, scored on a sixty yard play against Alabama. Uh, Miami completed some balls to their tight end. So, yeah, it's been an issue for Alabama. Now you're facing the best tight end that you're probably going to see all season. 
uh, most likely he would be matched up on Christian uh, one-on-one. So, yeah, that's something we should look for. Uh, A&M does have some talent outside, and Smith, uh, Isaiah Spiller is, uh, you know, one of the better running backs that we'll see all season long. So even though A&M's offense has struggled, there probably is a couple of things that they can hang their hat on here uh, where they'd be making a mistake is to put too much on Zach Calzada. Uh, I do think Alabama's front seven is going to, for the most part, really handle that that A&M offensive line. But, you know, I, I, for all those reasons, Clint, I, I'm not expecting Alabama to go into College Station and destroy them. Now, if they do, uh, should we be surprised? Will, will I have to be revived with an ice cube or, or be shocked back into consciousness by paramedics? I don't think so. Uh, I, mean, I mean, Alabama routinely uh, blows out teams that are thought to be competitive with Alabama. But I'm just saying for a team that's unranked and Alabama's won 100 in a row in this situation, but for a team that's unranked, A&M is pretty dangerous and, and it is a road game and it's going to be loud, and it's at night. And uh, if this game is tight and Alabama, quote, only wins 24 to 17, uh, I'm not going to be really stunned, uh, nor will it change the way I feel about this football team. It it could just be a tough game, really, for anyone. And, yeah. And I don't know what to make of the whole linebacker situation. I mean – Think about where Alabama's been at that position the last, you know, during the Nick Saban era. You know, Rolando McLean, first-round pick. Dante Hightower, first-round pick. Um, you know, C.J. Mosley, Reggie Ragland, second-round pick. Reuben Foster, first-round pick. Uh, Rashawn Evans, first-round pick. It, they used to be incredible at developing off-ball inside linebackers. And here recently, Mac Jones, or excuse me, Mac Jones, uh, Mac Wilson, He's a guy who was considered a first-round pick going into his final season. Now, granted, he should never have left early. I think that if he came back and he continued to develop, I think that he definitely would have been drafted a lot higher than the fifth round. But you can't deny that he fell short of expectations based off of where he was at during his true freshman season and sophomore seasons. Um, you know, going into or excuse me, the, with, the, with the way that he played in his final year uh, at Alabama, uh, and then Dylan Moses. Now, granted, injury probably plays a huge role in that. In fact, I know it does, um, but you know, he ended up not coming back and being the player that a lot of people thought. And and here's the thing, that's that's kind of tough to put on the coaching staff because I don't think that's a lack of development. I just think it's a lack of, you know, it's an unfortunate situation with the way that he was injured. The fact that he came back, he wasn't super confident in his knee. I mean, obviously, he was still having trouble with it. He's on, um, you know, R right now with the Jacksonville Jaguars because he needed to, I think, have things cleaned up again and, and try to get it back to 100%. He's not even close to being back. Um, and so the fact that he played through it last year, but it just seems like Alabama is starting to get a reputation for linebackers falling short of expectations. And, and Christian Harris is the next one, uh, you know, going, like I said, going into the season, he was considered to be one of the best linebackers in the country. A lot of people thought he was a projected first round pick and not saying that he can't be that, but right now, if I was him, I would be looking to probably return unless something drastically changes in the second half of the season he probably needs to come back for his senior year um, and continue to develop because just from a recognition standpoint, from a coverage standpoint, um, you know, for a guy who played cornerback a lot in high school and stuff, there's some athletic tendencies there, but I don't think he can run, you know, 
and, and Chase, as well as some of the other Alabama linebackers that have been coming through in the past, like a Reuben Foster or a Rashawn Evans. Um, I think Henry Toe Toe has probably shown the ability to run and track uh, a lot better than than Christian Harris. So why do you think that is as far as just, you know, is it just an unfortunate stretch for Alabama or do you think there's something that would be potentially causing that issue? I hate, uh, I'm always uncomfortable being too critical, even though I know that's uh, our job is to be objective here. So I'm going to try to be objective uh, and, and not critical, but I'll, I'll just point out that all those problems that you point out with the inside linebacker position in terms of when that started, I mean, is it a coincidence that, that that's what happened when uh, when Pete Golding was hired to coach the inside linebackers, a position, by the way, he had never coached at the college level until he got to Alabama. Great so, point, man. Great so point. I'm not – I'm and, and by the way, I don't want people to take that wrong. That's not me saying this is Pete's fault. He sucks. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. I'm just like, huh, well, it's kind of weird that those events line up since uh, since Golden got here and he's coached that position. Now, that said, as to – I prefer to look at it on a case-by-case basis because some of our inside linebacker play has been really good uh, even since Pete's been here. Um uh, you know, I think Henry's pretty good. Um, I know he's had some issues here and there, and he certainly missed some tackles. He's also been sick, uh, and he had a pretty serious elbow injury. That elbow injury he had was more serious than people know. He chose to play through it. A lot of people wouldn't have, and he chose to play through that elbow injury. Uh, as to what's wrong with Christian, I don't know. I know this. Here's, here's some little inside scoop. I won't be specific about it, but I do know for a fact that it has been noticed by NFL scouts that Christian Harris hasn't played well. This isn't interesting. This isn't our paranoia. This isn't us being overly critical. I do know for a fact that it has been noticed by NFL scouts that Christian Harris seems to have regressed. So, you know, that's, it's either on him. I don't think he's hurt. If he's hurt, that's news. You know, maybe it's a focus thing. A lot's changed in college football over the past year, including NIL deals. I know Bryce famously has the big NIL deals. He's not the only one. Christian has a a pretty spectacular one himself. Uh, I think it's a new world that we're all trying to navigate through. Uh, it, It could just be a focus thing. I know this. I think Christian is a great athlete. I think he was a really good player a year ago. Uh, And my expectation as an Alabama fan and and someone's pulling for Christian, I I think he's going to snap out of this and start playing well. And, uh, and hopefully that starts this weekend. See, first of all, great point. Um, And and it's, it's, it's fair to point out a fact. Now, granted, you're not necessarily saying there's a correlation and I'm sure there will be some Alabama fans who listen to that and they run with it. And now Pete Golding is responsible for all of it. And you'll probably see a, a tweet crop up at some point probably today or tomorrow of somebody making that discovery after li- listening to Jimmy Stein and probably not giving you credit for it um but you know <laughs> making that correlation that since Pink Golding's out there that the the lack of development with the inside linebackers um has not necessarily been there and it's the fact that that's a position that he had never coached before you know you would think from a development standpoint you know he's still learning the nuances of that and so I think it's a fair thing to point out, but it's not necessarily that, you know, it, it's that those two things are linked, but it's possible. Um, yeah. And I also think that, you know, one of the big reasons why, you know, the, the natural progression for a lot of people thought, you know, Christian Harris, before they got Henry Toe Toe, 
his he was going to make that Dylan Moses slide to the you know Mike linebacker, and he was going to be the communicator. He had been a, a two year starter. He you know knew the defense. He had continued to progress. He like I said, projected to be a first round pick. But I think in some ways Dylan Moses, while I think he was a good communicator, um, I think he probably would have been better remaining in the role that he was in in years past where he didn't Agreed. have to focus on what everybody else was doing. He could focus on him. And Agreed. I think the coaching staff acknowledged that Christian Harris is better in that role too. And it's a mistake they tried to fix, um, you know, moving forward and going and getting a field general like Henry Toa Toa was huge in allowing Christian Harris to be able to remain in that role. So I, that's why I'm a, even a little bit more surprised that he has struggled like he has. Um, and I think that, Really, it hadn't just been him. Um, the defense at times, you know, like I said, I was going back and watching, you know, uh, you know, games that everybody was struggling. The Florida game comes to mind. You know, it wasn't just Henry Toto. I thought, you know, Christian Harris didn't have a great game. At Southern Miss, I thought Christian Harris played a lot better. Um, that's probably been one of his better games. Um, against Ole Miss, he was okay. It's just I, I I was just curious what the thoughts were on that because it's been kind of baffling to me. It just seems like every year Alabama was cranking out you know first or second round linebackers, and here lately there's just been a huge drop off at that position, and you know it, it's tough. Um, but I, I agree with you. I do think that as the season progresses and he and he gets more comfortable, uh, which you would think, hey, he's a he's a junior who's been starting for the last two and a half years. You know he shouldn't need to be getting comfortable. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, sometimes uh, things are a little bit different. They take time. And, you know, him being asked to cover tight ends and stuff with what offenses have, have been doing, because, you know, I guess Florida, what they were throwing as far as, you know, the, the option stuff, it's assignment football. You're worried about pitch man. You're worried about quarterback. You, you know, you start to kind of forget what needs to be done as far as coverage when they do decide to throw the football because um, you're worried, too worried about everything else. And so, hopefully he continues to improve uh, and kind of get out of this slump that he's been in. Um, but there's no doubt um, that it, the better that those two guys play, Henry Toto and Christian Harris, the better this defense is going to be because they're involved in everything. They're going to be, you know, have a role in the passing attack. They're going to be getting out to the quarterback and off ball blitzes. Both those guys can, can, uh, you know, get out to the quarterback um, and apply pressure uh, in blitz situations and then stopping the run. Both of those two guys are going to be huge in that area. So just wanted to talk about that real quick. And then the other big uh, matchup, and this is the last one that we'll talk about today that I think is going to be fairly intriguing is watching Malachi Moore and Brian Branch go against Anaya Smith. Uh, Smith is a, a receiver slash running back. He's been pretty much playing nothing but receiver this year. He lines up, you know, most of his snaps are going to come out of the slot, especially when they're in three receiver sets. So you're going to see a lot of him going against the star, uh, whether it be Brian Branch or Malachi Moore, very explosive player. And he's a guy that I think if you're, you're A&M and you're worried about that, that offensive line going against Alabama's defensive line with Phil Mathis and Will Anderson, and even without Drew Sanders, um, you know, I think Alabama can apply plenty, plenty of pressure on Zach Calzada you want to rely on your tight end who can be a quick safety blanket, and you want to rely on a, a you know slot receiver that can turn short passes into long gains like Anaya Smith. So I think he's going to be a big part of the game plan, and, and whatever success that they do have, a lot of it's going to come from those two guys. So talk a little bit about Alabama's stars versus Anaya Smith there in the slot. Well, it's a tough match. I mean, Anaya is a good player. That's what's so weird about the Ole Miss offensive start. Now, I know – when you lose your starting quarterback and you're rebuilding an offensive line, 
That's not a good formula. And that is why Texas A&M has struggled. But they've struggled a lot, even though they have two very talented tight ends and Smith as an outside player and other highly recruited uh, wide receivers, not to mention maybe the best tight end in the country. And you would think with those pieces, you'd be able to cobble together a pretty good offense. But A&M's been so bad on that side of the ball. It's crazy. But Anai Smith is a really good player. He's probably a pro football player. This may be the best slot guy we've seen so far this year. Alabama has weirdly alternated at star. Malachi has played it for half the game. Branch has played it half the game. I think this past week against Ole Miss, Malachi played more snaps than Brian Branch did at star. But they've sort of shared the position. They're both good players. Uh, I would say this. I don't know if it's the splitting time. Maybe I need to go back and look at what Malachi's uh, production was a year ago through five games versus the combined production of Malachi and Branch this year. It doesn't feel, Clint, like we're getting the same level of play out of that star spot. It doesn't feel that way. That could be wrong, though. That could be wrong because, again, it's been a little weird that the two guys are sharing it as opposed to last year when it was Malachi on every single snap at this point in the season. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a matchup that favors AM because both players are good. The AM kid is good. Both Alabama players are good, but I, I guess it's fair to say that both are going to have their moments. Uh, Anais is probably going to make a play or two. He does every week. Uh, it's it's nearly impossible just to shut him down. And let's give some credit here, too, to Alabama's corners, Jalen Armour Davis and Josh Job. They've given up almost nothing. I was looking at the tackle chart the other day. Jalen Armour Davis has now uh, played four full games because he did miss a game. He played four full games. Josh Job has played five games, and Josh Job has 11 tackles. That's it, and through five games. And Jalen Armour Davis has nine tackles, and that's it uh, in the four games he's played. And, and someone's first thought might be, gosh, guys, where's the production? Make a play. Go do make something happen. No, these are corners that get locked into man coverage for most of the game. And what that tells me, there are very few tackles, Clint. That tells me they are shutting their guy down. Who do you think a cornerback tackles? He normally tackles the guy he's covering who's caught a ball. That's who normally the cornerback tackles. The cornerback doesn't come off his guy 20 yards down the field and rush to the line of scrimmage and tackle the running back. No, the, the corners usually tackle the player they're assigned to cover. The fact that Josh and Jalen Armour Davis are basically averaging two tackles a game means their guy is only catching at most two balls a game and how many plays can you point out Clint how many plays can you remember other than the pass interference calls against Josh how many plays can you remember where Job and Jalen Armour Davis have given up anything of any significance at all next to nothing so they're they've done an outstanding job I think A&M is going to recognize that and and they're going to attack the middle of the field with, with uh, Wittermeyer and Anaya Smith. That means attacking the star position. That means attacking the safety positions, which are more vulnerable for Alabama than those outside corner spots have been. And see, you know, when you look at A&M's offense, they have weapons. You know, it's, it's not just Anaya Smith. It's not just Jalen Watermeyer. You know, Demond Demas, um, you know, he, he's a, he was a five-star uh, prospect coming out of high school. 
He's only got five catches this year, but he's averaging close to 25 yards to catch. Um, big time, you know, playmaking receiver. Um, you know, you got Chase Lane, who I think is a good player. Caleb Chapman, good player. Um, you know, you got two running backs. The weapons for AM's offense is not the issue. It's A, been a combination of very poor offensive line play. And that's why I say I don't think they would be a whole lot better with even Haynes King uh, still in the lineup. You know, I do think they would be better, but, and it be, you know, especially because of his escapability as far as his dual threat and his ability to use his legs. But the offensive line was just as poor, you know, when he was playing and, and they couldn't keep him adequately protected. They certainly can't keep Zach Calzada adequately protected. And so it's very hard to have offensive success when your your quarterback isn't being given the time to have the success. And so in those situations, I do agree where I think Alabama is most vulnerable is, you know, a, a linebacker in coverage at safety, you know, when they're uh, in coverage and they're covering tight ends and things like that, the star position, not necessarily saying they're vulnerable there. I just think that Anaya Smith is a talented enough player that he's going to win his fair share. Um, yep. So I think that when you talk about A&M, you're going to get them trying to run the football and you're going to get them attacking the middle of the field as much as humanly possible. And I do think that's going to yield some results for A&M. Um, and, and especially, and this is the last thing we'll talk about, and I kind of forgot about this, and I apologize, it's, it's kind of a big deal, um, but Drew Sanders, the fact that he's going to be out for this game, thumb injury, uh, you know, Nick Saban says he's probably going to be out. They think he's going to be out. He's going to be, uh, and he's going to be out, you know, maybe even, you know, longer than that. Could be Mississippi State, could be Tennessee. What are your thoughts on uh, on old, you know, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell trying to step up into the the spot that Drew Sanders is leaving vacated, at least for the short term? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, uh, my first thought is I like Chris Braswell. I like Dallas Turner. I, I think both of them are really good players. Braswell is a fantastic pass rusher. He's got to work on the rest of his game. Uh, he's sort of like a lot of young players, sort of a one-trick pony that I think they're working on him becoming a more well-rounded guy to where he can be a better player on first down and second down and not just a third down guy. But the good news is on third down, he's hell. I mean, he's he is nearly Will Anderson good, I think, on third downs. So he'll, he'll replace Drew easily uh, when it comes to those third down plays. I think first and second down is a bigger question. I think Dallas Turner is going to be a superstar the only variable is time. Is Dallas Turner going to be a superstar now or later? But it's going to be one or the other. He is, he is, I thought he was can't miss when we signed him. Nothing he has done at Alabama has changed my mind about that one bit. Dallas is going to be a really, really good player, but he is a true freshman. It's a road game against quality competition. Uh, he would really be thrown into the fire if we're going to ask Dallas to play a lot of snaps. Uh, I wrote a long you know, I call them blogs and I think I get criticized for that. I'm not sure what to call them, but I, I wrote my long message board post yesterday about the loss of Drew. And this is what I'm looking for, Clint, is the very first play that Alabama comes out in nickel and Alabama's in nickel a lot. Alabama will be in nickel a lot against AM because we've already talked about him. Anaya Smith, he's almost always in the slot, which means usually, unless they have two receivers on one side, uh, you know, uh, AM usually is in a three receiver set. And when AM has three receivers and a tight end, Alabama will be in nickel, certainly, possibly even dime, but definitely nickel. So Alabama will be in nickel a lot. Alabama's been lining up with two defensive linemen and two outside linebackers, Will Anderson and Drew Sanders, in nickel all year long. 
That's a change for Alabama. In the past, Alabama's lined up with three defensive linemen and one outside linebacker in nickel. So with the loss of Drew, what I'm looking for or, or what I'm curious to see, does that mean the end of the what they call the nickel rabbits, the two small guys outside? Is it the end? Are, are, are they going to decide that it makes more sense to go with the experienced defensive lineman up front in nickel? So that's what I'm looking for. Is Alabama going to have two defensive linemen or three defensive linemen in the game when they line up in nickel Saturday? If they line up with two outside linebackers again, Clint, it is one heck of a statement about their confidence in Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner because what they'd really be saying in my mind is, hey, we still think even with those guys that our best 11 is on the field. And see, it's all about what they can provide you. Um, where, where does having certain guys out there limit you? Uh, and there's three different ways of looking at it. There's run, pass, and there's doing your job. There's responsibility. Uh, I think from a stopping the run, I think Dallas Turner can handle that. From a getting after the quarterback, I think that you know him having a lot more pass rushing ability than even a Justin Aboybeer or a LeBron Ray, I think the ceiling for a Dallas Turner as far as being a pass rusher, a lot more explosiveness, a lot more bend, especially playing out there on the edge, I think he can handle that. His big thing that we're, that he's going to have to prove and that we need to be on the lookout for is how much is he handling the mental side of the game? You know, is he doing his job on a consistent basis? Because if you're not, Alabama is not going to have you on the field very often. Um, and I think they have the confidence in him to be able to do that, but he's got to prove it. Um, you know, th that's one thing that Alabama had a huge advantage or a disadvantage in a couple of years ago is they've built this program based off of they, they have tons of talent that runs extremely deep. And typically, if you're a young guy, but you're a talented guy, if there's an area, a situation that you can help them in, you will play in those situations. But they only have to play those players in those situations. A couple of years ago, because of injuries and because of losses with Quentin Williams and Isaiah Bugs and all those guys, you had a lot of defensive linemen, young defensive linemen, who were not ready to handle the duties that they were being handed uh, because, you know, they, from a trust standpoint with the coaching staff, maybe they're a, a guy who's a better pass rusher at that point in their career, but they're having to play on early downs because they don't have many, as many options, or maybe they're having to play on third downs when they're not a great pass rusher yet, or they haven't learned the nuances of being a pass rusher. And that hurts, uh, Alabama, that hurt Alabama's defense then in this situation, because you're having to work into your depth a little bit. That's where I say the loss of Drew Sanders. You know, I put it on Twitter yesterday. It's a, a, a huge loss for Alabama's defense. The reason that I say that is because I don't know on a snap-to-snap, down-to-down basis that, um, you know, Alabama is, is going to get the production that they need from a Dallas Turner or a Chris Braswell yet. But they certainly can prove that. They're both talented, and I think they're both capable I think Chris Braswell's more situational still, but he's getting better um, in, in other areas. But it's going to be a lot to prove. And I think going on the road and taking on Texas A&M, they're certainly going to try to create any sort of advantage that they possibly can. And obviously, you know, you lose Chris, uh, Christopher Allen. You've now lost Drew Sanders. That's an area that, that a and is going to look at and say, we're struggling offensively. Let's figure out a way we can take advantage of those, you know, the guys that are going to have to be stepping up because they're second or they're third and fourth team guys. Um, and so I'll be curious to see how that works out. I think it could pay dividends down the road as far as, you know, getting those guys experience that can be, you know, that really helps your depth uh, later on when you get Drew Sanders back. And so, yeah, the, the whole um, rabbits package and how they end up, you know, going with that 
if they feel like that a Boigby or LeBron Ray out there on the edge limits what they need them to do as far as being an edge rusher um, in, in passing situations, then, you know, you'll probably end up, you know, seeing a lot less of those guys, and you'll still probably see Dallas Turner or Chris Braswell. I think that you can go uh, Dallas Turner on early downs maybe and and go in Chris Braswell in obvious passing situations, or you can go with a, a LeBron Ray or a Justin Aboibi uh, being a, a, an edge-setting or run-stopping uh, defensive end on early downs, and then maybe put a Chris Braswell in there or a Dallas Turner. It's just going to depend. There's so many different ways that you can attack it. Uh, but the good part about having Drew Sanders, you know, Chris Fallon first, but then Drew Sanders in the way that he stepped up opposite Will Anderson Jr. is that you didn't have to be limited, you know. Um, there were a lot more things that you could do. You know, Drew Sanders has, was developing as far as being a pass rusher. He was great at stopping the run. He was great in coverage. And so you didn't, there was nothing, there's no situation for Drew Sanders that you didn't feel like he could handle. And with Will Anderson Jr., the preferred thing is for him to be getting after the quarterback. And that's why having a very balanced guy opposite him with Drew Sanders was so crucial or is so crucial when he returns um, because you can do that. You can put those responsibilities on Drew Sanders, but we'll kind of just have to see how it plays out. Um, I know we've run long here. Do you have any final thoughts on Texas A&M before we get out of here? No, I'm um, I'm going to pick Alabama to win 34 to 14. Uh, that that's that's what I believe will happen, which is sort of between a close game and a blowout. Uh, it, it would have Alabama covering the line, uh, which is impressive. Uh, you know, when when you're on the road in this league, uh, so I think Alabama will win. Uh, what I will consider impressively, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't think it's going to be tight. But if it's if it's if it is, put it this way, I think there's a better chance it's tight than Alabama wins. 49 to 7. I I, I, I believe that uh, just because I have a lot of respect for the dudes that AM has and how difficult it is to uh, to play on the road uh, at night in this league. Ask Florida, who went to Lexington last week. Oh, man. Uh, I like that. I think I'm going to go, and I might be a tad high here. I'm trying to decide if I, I kind of got the, the spread. Um, I'm trying to decide if I want to go 37-17 or 34-14. I think Alabama wins by 20. I think they cover that 18-point spread. I think it's difficult at times. Um, I think it's going to take them, you know, how much improvement have they made as far as their ability to communicate in hostile environments on the road? Uh, if they've made those improvements, I think they're going to win pretty handedly. But, um, you know, to kind of lock in a final score, you know, 34-14 would put it at 48. So that wouldn't break the 51 over under. Uh, 37-17 would be 54, so that would. So I'm picking Alabama to cover the spread. The question is, am I picking the over or the under? And um, I'll go with 37-17 to say they break the over. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I think it'll be a good game for a short period of time. But I just think Alabama, with their advantage defensively, that you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they created a couple of turnovers. They're, they're leading um, the SEC, if I'm not mistaken, in turnover margin. And so yes. – um, you know, if you throw that in there, you might get a defensive touchdown or something, or, you know, a couple of turnovers where they put Alabama's offense in great scoring position, kind of like against Ole Miss, getting fourth down stops and enforcing fumbles like Fedarian Mathis did. So I'm going to go with 37 17. We'll have to see how it works out. But Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. Um, you know, this, this is always fun, man. I could do this for hours and, and I'm, I'm so glad that we get to do this man every time you text me and you say looking forward to the podcast 
I, same, same, man. I just appreciate you always hopping on here with me and giving the, the, the listeners great content. This is always a blast. Yeah, it's fun. And, uh, we're always, we're, we're, we're on the same page, even to the point we pick very similar scores, uh, most weeks and we're, and we're, we're right a lot. I mean, I, I don't know that we've nailed a score yet, but, uh, I think we've been in the ballpark every week. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And, and, you know, I don't think anybody anticipated Ole Miss going for it that many times or having even the, the opportunity to go for it that many times on fourth down. And, you know, when you get it, you can make it a really good game. If you don't, you can, it can get real lopsided real quick. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't, I mean, there was such a range as far as the, the, the various outcomes for last week's game and the, it ended up working out where it was one where Alabama blew them out. So um, that's going to happen, but love the analysis. think it's great. I think the, the listeners enjoy it and we'll have to do this again uh, really soon. So I appreciate you once again, this has been the Bama on three show. I'm your host, Clint Lamb, and I've been sitting here with Jimmy Stein and we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>